Hey, alright. And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Robin Waddy of Big Brave. Big Brave released their fifth LP Vital on Southern Lord Records in April. Very exciting and super fun conversation to share with you all this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Nandi for our intro music. Marcus Nuccio for our graphics each week. You can see all those on our website, betteryetpod.com. Invite you all to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Springtime's here, y'all. I've been feeling the vibe singing the spring cleaning song from Rocco's Modern Life all the time. You remember that? Spring cleaning, spring cleaning. Actually, spring cleaning around these parts is moving and consolidating your moving boxes that you've had sitting in the same spot since we moved. And you know what? That's okay. Jay and I, we do things how we do. But we're both getting our second vaccine shots tomorrow, so soon enough we're actually going to have some people over to our house, which is exciting. Great, even. Especially when it comes to organization around here. I work better under a deadline. Like that Mitski song. Been reading... Alex Ross's The Rest is Noise, a book about 20th century music, and I'm loving. I can't recommend it enough for anyone interested in quote-unquote classical music. Uh, he's been talking plenty about Duke Ellington and Charlie Parker as well. There's a great story in there about uh, Stravinsky going to see Charlie Parker in a club and Bird is soloing. And he sees Stravinsky sitting there. And then he throws in the first few notes from Rites of Spring, which is not the name of the ballet. It's the Rite of Spring. <laughs> and he throws those first couple notes into the solo. And Stravinsky got so stoked that he knocked his scotch over. I love that shit. Speaking of the band to tie things, to our conversation this week with Robin Wadi of Big Brave. Big Brave made a couple records at Hotel 2 Tango in their hometown of Montreal, which gave me a great excuse to listen many times over the past couple weeks to North Star Deserter and At The Cut by Vic Chestnut, two records that he made up there with Ephraim Manuk and some of the Godspeed and Silver Mount Zion, folks, and Key Picciotto. Beautiful records. If you've never heard them before, that's a great place to start with Vic, which can be an intimidating catalog. And even though those records come late, At the Cuts, actually the last Vic Chestnut record, give it a go. Give them both a go. And then do West of Rome and Drunk, the first two. There you go. There's your homework for this weekend. But what's more fun than homework? Well, our Patreon, patreon.com slash better yet podcast is a pretty fucking good time. 
we talk about the passion on Patreon. I listed my top five REM songs. An awesome contribution this week from Robin. One thing you pick up on in Big Brave, especially if you read a lot of interviews, is the influence of minimalist composers like Steve Reich and John Cage. I've been in a great groove with that stuff the last few months, so I asked Robin to make us a mix for the Patreon and the stuff she sent over. All of it was great. Lots of stuff that I'd never come across before. Digging it all. That's over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better yet podcast. We got a couple tiers of pledging over there. All money is split evenly between the show and the guests and organizations chosen by our guests. We pay our guests. Tell your publicist. We're paying Robin for her time this week. And we're also sending money to the Native Women's Shelter in Montreal. If you want to support them and support the show, go to patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. All right. Bubba's my guest this week is Robin Waddy of Big Brave. Big Brave, if you know you know, an insanely great trio from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, started by Robin and her roommate at that time, Mathieu Ball. Been working on that pronunciation. Big Rave was originally a minimalist folk-leaning ambient project that evolved into something greater when they started playing electric guitars and amplifiers. Robin and Mathieu held on to those minimalist origins in their compositions, but these songs became a massive orchestration of tone with Robin's vocals soaring above it all. The band really hit their stride in 2015 with Ode La, which they made with Ephraim at Hotel to Tango, their first record also on Southern Lord. Ardor would follow in 2017 and in 2019, they made a gaze among them in Rhode Island with Seth Manchester. Quick aside, if you listen to this show, you remember in 2019, I had a major surgery on my tummy. A gaze among them came out at that time. That's my introduction to this band was that record following a crazy traumatic event in my life and not to endorse the behavior, but still on pain medication. Great, great introduction. To this band i spent a lot of time with big brave that summer i wrote about the record for post trash probably the last album review i've written that's how much i liked it shout out to dave collis and a dan golden fucking holding down post trash over there but here's the thing about big brave they make this record a gaze among them it's one of the loudest things i've ever heard and then they drop this new record vital and it's even louder this is a conversation that I was so looking forward to. This band makes music that's so evocative. It's so visual. Couldn't wait to get into the process with Robin, though. I was a little intimidated going into it. She seems like a serious artist, and that's true. But she's also a very fun human. We had some early recording hiccups that ease the conversation up, especially for me. It turned into one of the most fun conversations I've had on this show. Thank you so much for listening. Rate and subscribe. Tell a friend. We'll be back next week. Now, me and Robin.
went to an estate sale recently. I live in Valparaiso, Indiana. It's like northwest Indiana, close to Chicago. Um, I went to an estate sale and there was a ton of like Steve Reich records that I bought for like. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's such a cool find. It's like That's music amazing. for 18 musicians. Like what? Oh, yes. Yes. That's a crazy find. Yeah, it was wild. That's amazing. So, uh, you you live in Montreal, right? Did you grow up there? Uh, yeah, I've been here my whole life, pretty much. I moved here when I was five. Oh wow! Yeah. Are your are your folks just living there? Uh, no, my mom lives in Alberta. Uh, I don't know my biological father, so oh wow, I don't know where he is. Yeah. So your mom's in Alberta. When did she head out there? Uh, six years ago, but she, she, cause she's originally from Montana uh -huh. and moved up to Alberta at a young age and, uh, and, uh, had me very young and then we moved to Montreal and then we stayed here for most of my life until she moved, uh, until she moved oh, wow. six years ago. Yeah. Just the two of you? Yeah. Uh, well, my half-sister as well, she got married um, to this guy that she met in Alberta, and then we all moved. They had my sister, and then, and then, I mean, they were also very young, so yeah. they also, their, their relationship didn't last very long. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they divorced, and then it was just us three, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so they're in in your your mom's in Alberta now. Alberta, yeah. I know of because of Calgary and the uh, yes. the rodeo, right? <laughs> yes, yes, the Calgary rodeo stampede, <laughs> the Calgary stampede. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Was there music in the house when you were growing up? Um. Well, ye yes, because I brought it in. Um, uh huh. My mom, uh, she she did listen to music, but it was in passing. It was like radio, and uh, she had some uh, she had some tapes, like just a handful of tapes. Uh -huh. And it one was uh, uh, I still have it. It's Madonna's True Blue tape, I think it's called. Oh, okay. She had this bread this bread tape, um, like soft uh -huh. rock from the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forget what the other tape was, but then there was a Celine Dion, like her old, old stuff when she just started singing in English. Yeah. Um, a Celine Dion thing hanging around somewhere. <laughs> like not, not musical at all, uh -huh. but uh, definitely just whatever was available we listened to. I feel like Celine Dion has to be royalty in that part of the country, <laughs> especially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was, what kind of music were you, were you bringing in? I guess when were you getting into music on your own? Um, like when I started actively listening to music, it was when I was a teenager. Um. I was like a passive listener, though. I listened to whatever was available, so it was mostly um, the radio. And then 
I listened to whatever anyone else introduced me to, but it was mostly, it was mostly like top 40 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, we grew, I, music, I loved music and I loved whatever I was listening to. And I found, um, I found joy in everything or something to grasp onto in anything that was like brought to me. But, um, there were like so many other things going on in my life that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a priority. Unlike Mathieu, he, music became, like he learned how to play the guitar at a very young age. He, Mm -hmm. um, he just had the wherewithal to like, actively search out different genres of music and and sneaking into shows underage and uh-huh. like he has more of a of a history with um like I think like a music lover's history like a regular music lover's history as mm-hmm. opposed to myself <laughs> which I think is odd for some people to hear that I kind of uh was very passive in listening to music right right so yeah yeah when you say you had like other stuff going on was it just that you were interested in other things like i know that you do you did the paintings on a gaze among them were you always doing visual stuff too yeah yeah um i'm i was mostly into um drawing and painting growing up mostly drawing um i was focusing on that but i also didn't really grow up in a uh in a very very stable environment so Mm -hmm. um and my my mom my poor mom like basically raising two kids by herself um had to work all the time so I was also preoccupied with taking care of my sister I basically raised her Mm. and um so between that and trying to keep my grades up in school, yeah. it was just like, I was just like, ah, music was a plus. I would spend hours on, in my room or actually hours watching TV and drawing and playing with my sister, basically. Yeah. yeah. That sounds, I mean, looking back, it's very sweet. I know that there's a lot. <laughs> A lot of instability and like it's 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 tough when uh, you get something like that put on your shoulders as a kid. But like, mm-hmm. damn, that sounds sweet. Are you yeah, close with it, your sister still? Um. Well, we're very different people, so it's like hard to find. Like we're polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, um. So it's hard to find some common ground. But like, we've always we've always had each other's backs and. Um, we're not as close as I think we both would really like to be, but I think it's because we're just very different. We have different mm-hmm. interests. We think differently about things. Um, um, For sure. Yeah. Do you go to college? Uh, I did. I went to, well, in Quebec, there's um, high school only goes to 11th grade. Uh-huh. And then grade 11, there's a right. grade 11. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then there's Sejep. <laughs> Yeah. And then there's Sejep, um, which is college, but it goes from like a two year sort like, I think it's Quebec's way of integrating the youth into the, the, the work, the working 
class quicker uh-huh. if you didn't want to go to university per, like per se and you actually just wanted to learn a trade that was your chance to do it quicker so you we still had curriculum to follow like the rest of the provinces um but you can you can actually go into the working professionals um, yeah. right after call, uh, SACEP. So I studied illustration and design. Some people would study industrial design or um, learn a trade in those two to three years. Um, but then after SACEP, there's university. Um, and then you can go on from there, get your master's, PhD, mm-hmm. after your bachelor's and stuff. It's pretty interesting that it's so different just for the province of Quebec. Yeah, yeah. I much prefer it like this, too, because high school sucks ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a lot of people that enjoyed their high school years, but some people did, and that's really cool, and I'm glad for them. But I was very happy to get out of there once when I did. Although, mind you, I was... Uh, I mean, you're so young. You're like in your teens and then you're yeah. trying to find a career. It's just, it's odd. And a lot of the times people would drop out like myself. I mean, I was also, I was living on my own at that point with a roommate and I was working full time and going to school full time. So mm-hmm. pay, paying rent ended up becoming a priority. Yeah. So after a year and a half, I dropped out. And then went to the university and fine arts. Yeah. Do uh, uh, painting and drawing still? Yes, painting and drawing. Yeah, specifically painting and drawing. That was the program. And my that was my major. And then my minor was anthropology. Um, mm-hmm. Two programs that you don't necessarily get a job after graduating from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's my there's my English degree right there. Oh, yeah. there we go. Cool. You get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. Let, let me let me ask you like if if we're to take I mean the only example I have of your artwork is a case among them the cover. Mm-hmm. If you're to take mm-hmm. that and what you did there and like provide a line to I guess your original like interests when you're going into college like what Mm -hmm. what really like spoke to you in terms of art making like what got you what got you pumped good question I think uh I had been drawing since I can remember my mom says like the moment I could hold a crayon I was just drawing on everything Mm-hmm. I think as a kid, it was just fun. As a teenager, it was it was also fun and interesting. I didn't really have a like a goal per se, but then deciding to go into illustration and design, it was just one of those things where the people around me were saying, "This is the obvious next step for you since you are mm-hmm. good at drawing." Mm-hmm. Um, go and study drawing and painting and illustration and and then so for me then it was still just like something that I loved to do it was I couldn't not do it it was it was like a you could say it was a compulsion I 
um, but then after, after Sejep, I stopped, I lost all interest in drawing. I had no desire. It completely drained me of even wanting to pick up a pen. Mm. Um, but I realized because illustration design, that program was too structured. Yeah. Um, and it's that program is made for people that want to do illustrations for commissioned work. Mm -hmm. So illustrations for magazines, newspapers, so on and so forth. Um, I tried my hand at it and I hated it um, because it was so restrictive Mm -hmm. um, creatively. Like I had no room to to do anything. I had no creative control or anything. It's like when um, you're rigid like that, you can't really like venture off into something and like follow your instincts. Cause I mean, that doesn't always turn out right. So it's like, there's way too much risk involved in branching out. Right. And then I decided to go back to school and why I decided to go into painting and drawing. I don't quite know why, but (laughs) it was, of course, everyone around me was saying that it was the logical next step. Like, well, if that was too structured, you do have some talent. Mm -hmm. Um, so why not try fine arts? And I did it. Um, I got, I learned a lot actually. Um, Mm -hmm. I also learned a lot in illustration design with regards to uh, the technical aspect of drawing. Um, And then in fine arts, I learned how to conceptualize work and how to think about your work, um, period. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also uh, dive deeper into what exactly you want to put out there. And so... The line, so in illustration design, it's very structured. It's very technical based, um, very rigid. Mm -hmm. And then you go to fine arts, which is, which is, you don't even have to have quote unquote technical drawing abilities or painting abilities. You just have to have really good ideas and try to convey them the best way you can. Um, thoughtfully Mm -hmm. Um, um, you have to think about everything and so it was really interesting to go from this like rigid line work to actual free-flowing painting and drawing and just like loosening up and having room to explore and um think about uh what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say with drawing and painting um that was the first time I ever painted was in like for real like uh Mm -hmm. uh in in painting and drawing at in university um oh wow yeah and that was that opened up a whole other world um, and then art to me, 
well, visual arts to me became something completely different. So it went from something that I enjoyed doing passively as a hobby to something that I could um, find more meaning in um, and, and glean from other artists and be inspired by other artists and be pissed off by other artists and... I love and, being but, pissed off at other artists. The <laughs> right? Best. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, I do get a joy out of it because it's like, oh, okay. I still have some kind of, um, I, I don't know what to call it, but like. Like core. a bullshit detector or Thank like. Thank you. When Thank you say core, it's like your core values are always intact. And when you yes. see someone trying to pass off some bullshit it's like yes 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 and i'm i'm glad for that but i'm also sad about it because i'm mostly like either i don't feel anything where i um i'm not provoked to feel or think anything by the art which makes me very sad um or i'm pissed off most of the time like i it's very rare that i Mm. go to galleries and and be just absolutely inspired or just even struck by um even as something small as color choice or technique or to to concept and overall body of work mm-hmm. um, um i feel like yeah. inspiration like that comes and goes so yeah you'll you'll get you get something that just hits you when you're not expecting it and it's like oh damn it's like back to that beginning yeah it's true and then it makes me feel um less like a curmudgeon yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, okay i'm not i'm not just upset at everything i'm like oh no 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 i still have i still have heart and hope and <laughs> love for art (laughs) no when you talk about like conceptual thinking conceptually i have always felt like your band is a very visual band and like you're it's like you're very thoughtful in what your songs are communicating and what they're evoking is that on point yeah, thank you, thank you. But yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that comes across. Um, excuse me. Um, absolutely, that is very, very much on point from the get go. Like mm-hmm. even even before uh, we be, uh, started thinking about playing loud music, Matsir and I were playing ambient, folky stuff and. Even then, it was super conceptual, and mm-hmm. um, he introduced me to all of those minimal composers that you you've mentioned, and yeah. John Cage, and and those, and it blew my mind, and and it was just so easy to run with it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you when you started, y'all were playing acoustic and it was mm-hmm. you know much more of a folky type thing well i guess just to backtrack a little bit like how did you meet matt originally 
Mm-hmm. Um, we... Uh, we were roommates. <laughs> oh, wow. I needed, yeah, I needed, um, I was hard up for a place. I was moving out of this one place I had gotten. Um, I signed a lease uh, for the new apartment I was going to live in, and um, that fell through two weeks before I was supposed to move. Mm. And I remember, um, I remembered meeting Matsuyer a few times through mutual friends and uh uh he had mentioned at like some barbecue that we were both attending um that he had a an extra room and then when my other apartment fell through I remember just like bombing his Facebook being like is that room still available like I'm like freaking out and he's like he was away camping and then he comes back like a few days later and he is like yes it's still available oh no those (laughs) those three days (laughs) sounds awful it was horrible i'm like where am i gonna live i'm gonna be homeless i can't what's gonna happen and then he's just like yeah yeah it's available everything's okay (laughs) um but that's how that's how it ended up being uh that's how i met him really well well, th- technically through the mutual friends, but being roommates, that's when we started uh, playing music together. Yeah, and, and yeah. Had, you hadn't played music before this band, right? Right. Um, I I taught myself how to play the guitar, just basic chords, uh-huh. um, like about a year and a half prior to meeting him, um, and. Uh, and I would just like sing with friends just in our living room. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, nothing other than that. And then Matsir's like, oh, you have an acoustic guitar. Come play in the living room with me and our other friend. And I'm like, okay. And then we just like get drunk and goofy and just play stuff. And it wasn't anything really serious. We would just like jam is the word <laughs> in our living room yeah. while we would like drink crappy wine and and uh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> was it intimidating uh playing with him because he's he's just such a fantastic musician right yeah it was super intimidating i was very scared yeah i was very scared i i would like wake up the next morning after like one of those like just living room jams with our friends and have deep regret uh-huh. <laughs> i'm like what did i do don't do that you're embarrassing yourself robin you don't even really know how to play the guitar like i would be crawling on the 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 the, the neck mm-hmm. to find the chords and but and he's like why don't you sing and i'm like oh, i guess i i can sing a bit and then and then, yeah, and then he also taught me that um, if whatever position you put your fingers on the neck, um, if it sounds good, mm-hmm. then there's, then that's it. There's, yeah. you don't need to know what it is in order for it to be legit. If it sounds good. And then if the next thing you do sounds well together, mm-hmm. then that's all there. That's all you really need to know. And it's I'm, like the and that, best thing someone could tell you, right? Yeah, yeah. I I was so relieved too because 
um, I thought he was, like, super prolific in the sense, because, like, he would do all of these crazy fingering things and solos, and I'm like, what are you playing? And he's like, I honestly don't know what this chord is. I don't even know what this is, and if I look it up, that's what it says, and I don't know how to pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he was just so unassuming and, like, modest, and Uh even though he had been playing forever, um, and in other bands, like, he he played in math rock bands, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Here I am, this, like, goofy 25-year-old being like, uh, I'll play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how is it that you start playing with amps? Okay, so, so yeah, so then Matt's here and I started to write songs and, um... I would, like, noodle around in my room, and he already had a bunch of ideas ruminating. Um, and then we would kind of come together, and he's like, well, well do you have anything? And I'm like, well, I have this. And he's like, cool. And then we would work on that, and then he would bring stuff, and I didn't know what he was playing, so he would, like, direct me. And mm-hmm. um, um, and then and then it got to the point where we had, like, a collection of songs, kind of, and... Um, doing, we like covered some songs and our friends were just like, why don't you play a show one day? And mm. we're like, okay. And Matsu having all the gear you need to play a show, um, <laughs> was like outfitted us. And, and, uh, then we played, we started playing a show. We played a show. <sighs> it was him, myself and our friend, uh, David, Mitchell, who was playing bass, um, and, yeah, and, he, oh, David Mitchell, he was so young, he was 19, <gasps> and I was, like, 25, and that's, was a couple years younger than me, but we all looked really young, and we have this one picture of us, like, really tiny on just chairs on a makeshift stage somewhere in a gallery mm-hmm. in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, um, but that's sort of how we started to use amplification for that project. But I was using the acoustic guitar. Matsu was changing from the electric guitar to the banjo, depending on the song or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it got to the point where... Uh, oh, no. Oh, what happened was Matsu broke the acoustic guitar I was using. And by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my chance to play the electric guitar because I hated playing the acoustic guitar because it was, it, they've always been too big for me. Mm-hmm. And it was a seal string and it hurt my pudgy little miniature sausage <laughs> fingers. I got those too. It's the <laughs> worst. Dude, yeah! I know, it is the worst. And I'm just like, these are not guitar fingers. Uh-huh. Um, but playing electric guitar was so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, it picks up all of the crappy things that I would or do, like all my mistakes. So I really had to tighten that up. So uh-huh. that's when we started to play louder. And we really, we really dove into minimalism and space. That's when John Cage came into the picture for me. That's when he, Matsuya, introduced me to John Cage. And that's when we started playing with our friend, Louie, who was drumming. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and, and we slowly got louder and louder from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild, like, listening back to an understanding between people, Feral, Verdu, but then it's like, Odela, you're fucking so formed into a new organism. Yeah, yeah. Is that how it felt then? Like, it, yeah. is this the John Cage point that we're talking about? Because, like, so many of those songs are just, like, one chord for five minutes. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we tried to do it with Feral Verger, uh-huh. um, but we were still very much in the folky kind of thing and we were still figuring stuff out um but odala is really where i feel like we stepped into um the space of of those concepts that we were reaching for or or trying to attain totally um yeah yeah and you made that with ephraim from yeah. godspeed yeah and silver Mount Zion Um, how were you all received in Montreal when I think of Montreal I think Ephraim's like the person that I think of so um, but your band's kind of kind of interesting because I think you fit very well with that like you know post Godspeed kind of sound but y'all are so heavy Mm -hmm. was my was like the scene into what you were doing? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say no. Um, the scene, there was no scene for us per se. There were our friends, um, and other experimental musicians, um, that became our friends through playing shows, through just knowing like the six degrees of separation mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and that's, we kind of developed like, and they're still our friends now. Like we're all super, super close so much so that they're in our, uh, COVID bubble. Um, but, uh, the, no, um, in the beginning, the, 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 the French speak, the Francophone, uh, listeners really took to us mm-hmm. um the the anglophones did kind of but generally people didn't understand um we we were met with a lot of resistance we also found it really hard to play still do play montreal and um because of we uh, there's some haters out there. Like yeah. I remember there was this one show that we played and we postered everywhere, and then people just started tearing down our posters. Um, and there was this other show that we played at the bar that actually all three of us worked at at one point, and um, it was in the window, but on the inside of the window. And someone markered over our name on the outside. Jesus. <laughs> like, just weird stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, 
yeah, um, so no, not really. Yeah. Yeah. But Ephraim, though, because of him, the reception outside of Montreal, even outside of Canada, I could go as far as saying, um, was so much warmer. Mm. Um, and people were actually interested because Ephraim was like, uh, he was, he liked what we did and he's like, let me take you under my wing and like helped us with everything. And, um, he just, he, 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 he's the catalyst for us to even become, for, for people to actually pay attention to us, his yeah. name, because of him. Yeah. Um, um, otherwise, no one was, no one gave a shit. Wow. <laughs> there were some people that did, mm-hmm. you know, the few that we reached through playing shows as much as we could, there were definitely some, but, but no, no, there, no, it, it was hard in Montreal. Is it like, I feel like there's a similarity, maybe not as extreme with y'all on Southern Lord. Cause you're a Southern Lord band it makes sense i don't know of another southern lord band that sounds quite like you yeah no no neither do i actually it's wild (laughs) but they they've been like on for a while now right they've been really supportive oh yeah i mean we couldn't believe it i mean okay so an example of ephraim um helping us the way he did um (laughs) We emailed Southern Lord with the subject saying, like, I forget what it was, but, like, because Ephraim recorded that album, Odala, we wrote, Ephraim from Godspeed recorded this, our album, here, have a listen kind of thing. I forget what the subject was. And then in the email, we're like, dear Lord, here is our album. This is recorded and mastered, and here is a live video of one of the songs. Oh, God. <laughs> and because Greg Greg later spoke to us about this, and because um, he had heard of Godspeed, he clicked on the email. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets emails, he gets these kinds of emails he gets like a hundred of these a day almost, you know, right. Maybe I'm exaggerating, right. but it's like, he gets a lot of emails like this, but really because of Ephraim kind of putting his stamp of approval on us, um, that, that is the only reason why Greg happened upon our email and opened it. That's wild. Yeah. So you did Odalay and, uh, or Odala. Keep wanting to say Odalay like that Beck album. Um, <laughs> and our door at yes. Hotel to Tango. Yes. I'm a I'm a fucking Vic Chestnut nerd, so oh, you I are. gotta ask you about that place. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's yeah. beautiful in there, and like you enter, it's very unassuming building. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks like, just like a cement 
rectangle-ish building. I think and I'm you walk uh, in and you're like, oh, okay. But there's history in there. Yeah. There's so much history. So much has yeah. happened inside there. I think he called yeah. it a a smartly reworked burglar alarm monitoring fortress. Yes, because that's what it was. Yeah. I forgot. Yes. It, it is so true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they did such a freaking good job. You wouldn't have known walking in there that that's what that was. Because Matsir knew about it, of course, and he was like, yeah, it used to be a burglar alarm distribution-making mm. place or whatever. And uh, So wild. Yeah, it's so wild. So much. Oh, yeah, that's like, that's a place that I would go to just like, can I stand in here? For just like yeah. a minute yeah and it would Take be worth it, it. yeah 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 just so like the moment you you walk in it's it's the sort of common area with the shared kitchen and uh there's like this old uh video game what are they called like those video game arcade things arcade game? yeah there we go <laughs> Arcade game. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, a, a bunch of, like, beautiful furniture. And then the door into the studio, you walk in and it just opens up. And and there's so much space and it's beautiful light. And it's uh, beautifully decorated and cared for. And you can tell that... I mean, you can't... I mean, also knowing who's recorded there and who runs the place, too, it's kind of very exciting. But if you don't even know, you walk in and you could feel, like, the history, mm-hmm. the, the... The... Yeah. It's, I don't want to be cheesy, but I'm going to be cheesy. You can feel the beauty that was made there. <laughs> I believe it. I fucking believe it, especially like, you know, Montreal, there's, there's, there's all sorts of like ghostly energy in that place. Yeah. In Montreal in general. Yeah. 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 I grew up really in a hockey too. So like the forum, the old uh, arena where the Canadians played, there's all sorts of ghost stories from that place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame though about that place. It got turned into, um, a movie theater and now the new place where every where they play um the bell center the bell center yeah it's it's disgusting it's just like this huge huge gross place like there's no character Mm. so it goes so it goes yeah. I would I would say like, oh, how come you didn't stay at Hotel Tatango but then you make those fucking records with with Seth in yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah. I couldn't believe listening to Vital that it was actually louder than a gaze among. <laughs> I know. We couldn't believe it either. We didn't know that we could even go louder or push it that way. It's crazy. Like Yeah. So here's my gaze among them story. I had okay. uh, a surgery on my, my abdomen. Oh. I had to get some stuff pulled out. My uh, appendix 
didn't burst, but it opened and like. Oh my god! So, I get out of the hospital, and I start listening to that record, "A Gaze Among Them," and I'm still in like, still taking pain pills. <laughs> I don't like to be like, oh, I was taking pain pills. But I tell you what, listening to that <laughs> record after something like that, when I'm like up late at night with a little bit of hydrocodone in me, was just yeah. like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just, all I see is like white coats and like scalpels and like hospital equipment. It all just feels like it exists in a clean room when I hear oh, it. Wow. To this yeah. day. Oh, that's really interesting. I can't help but wonder if you're okay. I'm fine. Yeah. What happened? Oh, it was my appendix. It like I had appendicitis and it was okay. like it didn't burst fully, but it was leaking for like a year. What? So it finally like came to a head and they ended up pulling this thing out, out of me that was like size of a softball it was wild Ooh. it was like a year long that it was just like amassing yeah were you in pain for that whole time yeah <laughs> holy fuck and like like you must have been in a lot of pain i've had like body pain my whole life too i'm like oh, okay. kind of a chronic pain person so like okay. when we when it happened I was in New Orleans for WrestleMania and (laughs) (laughs) and I'm there with like my friends and I'm just like miserable and they're like, this guy, what always with him? It's always something. I'm like, no, it really hurts this time. It's all good. It's all good. Shit. Fucking shit though. Yeah, it was scary, but yeah, it's cool. But it was, like, leaking for a year? Yeah. (laughs) Holy fuck. Like, that's insane that you endured that for a year. Yeah. Yeah. My back hurt all the time and shit. It was... Oh, my gosh. But I get the chronic pain thing. If you you experience pain, that, like, internal pain that isn't obvious to the outside, Mm -hmm. to, to people outside, it's like... It's a very, very, unfortunately, quiet, private suffering. And so then if, like, something big like that happens, you kind of also don't want to give it too much thought or energy because you're already feeling like shit. And so it's just like, oh, it's a fucking other, it's another thing. Yeah. And then you're just coping and coping and coping and coping. And then... <laughs> and then it ends up that your fucking appendix was like leaking and turning into a softball size of a fucking terrible yeah. mass. Oh my god. You fine. poor guy. I'm so sorry. Well, thanks. <laughs> I feel very like validated by that. Oh, Thank yeah. You. No, but that sucks. I get it. I get it. Chronic pain's tough because yeah. yeah, it's like you feel like you have to basically like explain to someone that you're not making it up every time. And if you don't want to do that, then you just don't talk. Yeah, about and you it. suck it up. So. and you don't have mm-hmm. you, and it requires so much energy just to be in pain, let alone the extra amount of energy it takes to 
cope with the pain on a day to day, right? Like you can't always mm-hmm. just lie down. <laughs> like you need to keep going. And then especially if you live um in a place where you have to pay for the doctor every time you need to see a doctor, it's like you're not going to you're not just going to get anything checked out. You're going to wait until <laughs> You know, it's like yeah. serious. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's a great thing about about American healthcare. Because I went and I like went to get an MRI because I thought maybe I had a kidney oh, stone, yeah. and they're like, "No, no kidney stone." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll just deal." Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and it's like and it, like dissipated a little bit. So I was like, "All right. Well, I guess it's just new normal." Yeah, it gets thrown around a lot. But anyway, right. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's all good. That's all <laughs> you're, you're so nice. Um, that record, though, yeah. that record yeah. is something else. I tell you what, you talk, and like, just in terms of like concepts and visuals, and I think that like the cover really separates it from the others because those covers are so dark, and this one is just like very very light and also you know little little spooky kind of like futuristic spooky <laughs> yeah it does kind of look like that eh? oh that's funny i can't yeah. believe you just said a <laughs> oh my god you're so canadian i can't oh believe my gosh. this <laughs> actually ah. it turns out it turns out that i say a more than most of the people around me <laughs> like even mm-hmm. my friends make fun of me saying a i even text a a (laughs) no one else does but we do yeah i did i said a oh i think my favorite moment on that record is on body individual when you say metal body unique metal body unique metal like fucking that economy (gasps) thank you Thank you so much. That minimalism. (laughs) Do every... Each one of those things is so, so evocative. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for (laughs) even noticing. No one has said anything about that particular thing to date, actually. But it was a moment where I was like, I felt... not i was just like this is i felt good about that i was Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how to express it but but i know what you mean yeah you kind of you step back and you're like whoa yeah (laughs) like i did yeah i can't believe how much i like this thing that i did yeah and that's saying something because we're hypercritical of our work um and that was a moment where I'm like, I feel like this is solid. Like, I can almost be proud of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And What a great feeling. Yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty sweet. Matsir, like, even the record as a whole, for example, it was the first record that both Matsir and I felt like we, we wanted to share. Um, cause up to date, 
before that record, we were just like, yeah, we made another record, but like, there were so many things that we knew we could have worked on, um, that we wanted to work on, that could have changed, like, it just didn't feel like it reached their, their maximum best, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, we, we were definitely, like, content with the records before a gaze. We're like, yes, no, this is good. But we were still very uncertain because of, um, I think it was our writing process and we were, and, and, and we were still listening to, to, well, we were finding our footing with regards to our concepts and like how to explore them. Um, and, and, and explore, like very very uncertain we were very uncertain we we didn't quite know what they sounded like and then it changed with the gaze the something shifted where it just felt more solid finished like each song felt finished and the best and and we felt like we did the best we could for each song, if that makes sense. Like, we really pushed mm-hmm. it as far as it can go without overdoing it, of course. But, um, and then, like, carefully chose um, um, each song for the album. We got rid of a lot, um... And it was also, it was also, it was great too. And I think because of Lowell, who, who drummed for us, um, Mm. super professional, he's like, he's like, he's like, just like people hire him from Ayar, oops, um, from elsewhere. Sorry, I spoke French, um, from like across Canada, for example, being like, yeah. oh, we need a, you know, like he's the one to go to. He's that talented. Um, and I think he really, really helped bring the album to where it could go. Um, mm-hmm. um, very different drumming style, but also he 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 really brought it to another level i think than our old drummer like our old drummer was great he took direction really really well but there was no forward movement i don't know how to explain it i feel like i'm rambling but you're not at all oh okay i feel okay. like it's but. it's very I mean, just with, like, the way that record starts, that goes for, like, 30 seconds. That beat, <laughs> what am I, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> no, no, yeah. But I know, it, right? Yeah. It's purposeful. It's, like, mm-hmm. you're... I, I think it becomes, like, pretty clear listening to it after eight seconds that it's going to go longer. It's... You're making us wait 
And you can't mm-hmm. do that unless you have a very full confidence in all aspects, all matter that exists in the thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And we really did. We had, we really felt like, like with Vital, we completely on purpose, we decided to erase our memory of what we did in the past, but keeping in mind, like, we didn't want to fall into, you know, certain tropes or fall into the same, um, formulas that we had done before and experimented with before we really just wanted to to clean to have the clean what is it what's the expression clean slate we wanted to clean slate go back to our original concepts and branch off again from there knowing what we knew mm-hmm. through playing live through experimenting um with uh different amps, um, getting to play all kinds of different venues and understanding sound and, and what it can do. And, um, yeah, keeping everything that we learned in mind and then going forward in writing. Mm -hmm. And we did that with vital too, but, um, but yeah, I felt like it was, it was like, we were not necessarily restarting, but we were, it was like a, it, it felt like, um, yeah, like just a step off mm-hmm. from what we were doing. Like we were, uh, <laughs> sorry. No, I, I, I feel, because <laughs> I feel like the songs in the last two records definitely go in like a linear progression. And I think that mm-hmm. on the, on the others there's you're hanging on chords more and it's more of like Mm -hmm. what you're doing like within chords and tones and this one is can do all of those things two songs that go to different places and i like how both of those records have kind of moments in the middle where you're just like left out with like minimal sound going on and just like like a calm but wow comes back i i love the shit that you do for real oh thank you so much that means so much you have no (laughs) idea (laughs) it's like so affirming and it's so motivating because we still have no idea we're still like we feel we've I felt the best we ever that. have lately, yeah. but like we're still like, oh, I don't know <laughs> if people are going to get it. <laughs> if a person likes it and feels something from it, then that is the most we can ask for. But like every time it's a gamble, we feel like it's a gamble. We're just like, okay, yeah, here you go. <laughs> take what you will but yeah so vital you mm-hmm. kind of you you hold up you took covid as as a opportunity i guess to make something it sounds so fucking like nice to be able to do that <laughs> like yeah. within all the terrible it's like cool let's just fucking work the 
fuck out of these yeah. songs. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were really we decided early on to to do that um because all of our tours got canceled mm-hmm. and um and we're just like, oh, "Okay, well, we had such a great year and a half of or year uh previous touring with our new drummer Tessie. We we had momentum, we just we felt good and then and then yeah, the world started to end and uh then we it was like without question, we just decided to isolate separately together mm-hmm. and spend as much time in the practice space working because it also it was like the only thing that took us outside of what was going on in the world um yeah. gave us um gave us some uh some a little bit of joy um yeah. which helped us cope with the rest of our lives <laughs> and the peoples around us our loved ones um and which I'm so grateful for and we spent yeah six months wow not every day but three four sometimes five days a week um at the practice space really just like working really hard but it was also really fun because we got to work with Tussie um write Mm -hmm. songs with Tussie and Tussie is a very like she's she's one of those musicians that can pick up any instrument and figure it out kind of thing Mm -hmm. and like play it for real Mm -hmm. um she plays everything well drums guitar bass piano I'm sure if she picked up like some horn instrument (laughs) she could figure it out and maybe even I don't even know but yeah she's just she just has that brain um and uh and so being able to actually write with her changed everything and it was so it became like not just a joy but like we felt like I would often tell her that I kind of wish she was part of our band from the beginning because it would be so interesting to see where we would have gone in the last four albums if she was there in the beginning because she just helped Mm -hmm. us move forward so much faster. Um, The writing process was so much faster. We were able to, like basically hammer out ideas and reject them or build on them or 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 like strip them down and then rebuild them a lot faster than we had in the past um which was so different and so nice yeah yeah those six months were really they kind of felt like a dream and it was fun too because we live so close to each other there's the train tracks, like, two blocks east of our buildings, and we would meet up at the train tracks and just walk straight 20 minutes to our practice space. So we came across no one, and it was, like, perfect. 
That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Walk along the tracks like freaking hoodlum Teenagers. Adolescents. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I did. I felt like a teenager. I felt like I was like doing something a little illegal and I felt like I needed to have like a joint and a, and a six pack and we're going to sit in the gravel next to the tracks and smoke cigarettes until sundown. And we did actually <laughs> after practice. We would do that. <laughs> Not pot though, but definitely some beer. Yeah. Just yeah. hanging out, drinking Molson's and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about um, about Half Breed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an excerpt from a book by Alexander Chi, mm-hmm. and you just straight up sing the words out of the book. Tell me about mm-hmm. about coming to that to that part. I first read that book, um, I think a couple of years prior to writing Vital with the band. Um, <clears throat> and when I came across that passage, I really, it, it, it struck me so hard because it's so eloquently, he's so, he, oh gosh, see, I, have trouble speaking. I feel like I'm a better writer than I am a speaker, clearly. Anyway, sorry. Um, but he's I so, think he's, you're <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Oh, you're great. You're, very you're great. <laughs> Thank you. You're mm-hmm. very great. Um, but yeah, he's just... I've never come across such an articulate way to describe the experience of being mixed race. Um, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I would have conversations. I've had conversations with other mixed race friends. um, And not all of them share the same uh, experience necessarily. And some of them do. But it's also... They're like, yeah, it's that passage is like a very, it's very common for a lot of mixed race people, but then also to find um, another mixed race person that is specifically your mix is even, I find, mm-hmm. more rare. And then to find someone who is similar to your mix and then experiences the same things you do is even more rare than that. And so mm-hmm. to have, just even to have Alexander Chi's words in front of me telling me exactly how I've been feeling and, and what I've been thinking my whole entire life, um, I did cry a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy to come across these words that I, I like, I just reread that passage over and over again. I wrote it down everywhere because I wanted to memorize it and then I realized that uh I'm just not going to memorize it but I I wanted to I've always wanted to quote some of some passages of of that I've read in the past but I couldn't really justify those passages um but this I felt like I could actually 
I could actually use these words um, and use them in the way that I did with, mm-hmm. with Half-Breed. Um, and I felt, and I didn't feel like it would necessarily take away from, from his, uh, his narrative. I felt like I wasn't disrespecting his narrative because it's, it's very much exactly what I've experienced. Um, I felt like the only way to truly express those words wasn't just to reread it and to say them out loud a thousand times, but like getting to be able to vocalize them with Mm -hmm. the way that I could with the band. It just, I don't know, I, I couldn't pass up this opportunity to quote these words yeah Um, yeah for real yeah yeah it's so it's they're unbelievable words and they fit so well to within the track and within the way you sing it's thank you it's a bold move i love that it's something that you've like kind of been wanting to do and then here it is exactly mm-hmm. as perfect mm-hmm. as could be oh thank you yeah it did yeah. feel bold it felt it felt a little too bold for what i am used to doing um i was really nervous and afraid um and worried about doing this uh mm-hmm. and that's also why i made sure to um to credit him in every possible way like even in the music video um um it's in the liner notes it's 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 everywhere because uh i mean that's just it's not just the right thing to do but also (laughs) they're beautiful fucking words like people need to know who wrote them um or anyway uh, um but um but yeah it felt it it did feel it felt it was definitely out of my comfort zone to do that um mm-hmm. but it didn't there was not a an ounce of doubt that it would have that it it would it wouldn't be okay what there wasn't an ounce of doubt that it would not, not be, be okay, okay. Yeah, yeah thank you yeah <laughs> um it's great. Yeah. It's fucking. It's it's oh, such a dope move. Um, oh, thank you. I love. I, I love the title track on this thing too. And yeah. Those bells, like fuck. I know. Oh, do you know where we found those bells? Where? So we were in Portland visiting our friends, um, the body. Um, uh huh. Oh, we were on tour. That's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and Lee and Chip brought us to, uh, fuck, I wish I remember what music store it was, but it's, it's a drum store and it looks like it's in a garage and they even have this like, um, little, uh, hallway to drum rooms, but with, with, um, 
it's 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 like this little kind of gallery of artifacts um Mm-hmm. And we found these bells there, and they're, I think they're old. I forget where they're from, too. Matt's here would know, because um, he has the memory of, uh, I don't know, man. He's like a walking encyclopedia for everything. But um, yeah. but that's where we found them. Um, mm-hmm. And there was only the one, and there was three on this, like, really, really old leather that it was like clearly around either a mule or some working animal. Mm-hmm. The leather was so worn that it was like almost falling apart in your hands. Whoa. But the sounds were insane. We pulled together yeah. our money just to buy it because it was a bit expensive, but we we're just like, we need these. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And those are those. Inspired by my oh, disco, though, because my disco does this beautiful thing with bells and this one, like, really minimal, long part that they do live. And I think it's also on their record. And that's yeah. your Tessie and I were just like, what? And all mm-hmm. Rohan did, he just had the bells up into the, the drum mics just standing and just barely touching them. And they would just kind of go, like, just sl- Almost like wind chimes within a small breeze, like very light breeze, yeah. but not even. Um, oh. So yeah, we're like, "Hey, Rohan, is it okay?" And they were like, "Of course." So we we <laughs> borrowed that from them. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's funny. Funny too that you mentioned the body. Yeah, I know that y'all did some cool stuff in Rhode Island. Yeah, together. Yeah, I can't fucking wait for that. Yeah, that's gonna be. I'm not gonna say too much, but you don't have. To. I just know that everyone is going to be surprised. Like surprised. <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> dude. This was so fun. Such oh, a yeah. pleasure. Thank, oh, you, thank so you so much for coming for on. Oh. All right, Bubbles, check out Big Brave online. BigBraveSL.Bandcamp.com. BetterYetPie.com. BetterYetPodcast.Bandcamp.com. Pledge to the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash BetterYetPodcast. We will see you next week. Thank you, friends.